Hi everyone, and welcome back to Sarah's Face. It's been a little while, and I decided that it would be a really lovely way to welcome spring, to welcome it with a group of dancers that I'm lucky enough to work with right now in the Source Dance Company. And we just thought we would have a group discussion about childhood dance experiences and training and what effects have resonated through their lives and possibly affected their current life at this time. And we'd just like to share that discussion with you. I'm gonna do this in two parts, so uh, enjoy the ride. <laughs> They're all smiling at me very quietly right now. Um, so yes, as you speak, don't be afraid to speak up, and all of you, including our Zoom guest, if you can hear, feel free to say anything at any time. Just let us know. Okay. So first of all, I am going to indicate that the age range of young humans we're working with right now is 19 to 21. Is that correct? Okay. You can't nod when you're on radio or, yeah. <laughs> Everyone's just nodding. Um, and the other thing that I'd like to touch on are your backgrounds as far as the genres you've been exposed to in dance. Is it fair to say that you've all had a pretty multi-genre training life? Yes. yes. Has anyone done something particularly unusual or outside the box as far as dance training as a child goes? Yes. I did Highland dance. Highland dance, awesome, okay. Yes. I did flamenco dancing. Flamenco, that's outside the box, yes. I also did flamenco. Flamenco too, okay, great, yes. I did swing. Swing, as in swing with a partner. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, did you have partners? Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Okay. Um, did anybody not? Okay. Give me a show of hands, and I'll let our listeners know how many of you did not do hip hop. No one. Well, sort of. One and a half people. So they're little, little wiggly hands here. <laughs> So you may have touched upon hip-hop, but did everyone get exposed to hip-hop in some way? It was occurring in your vicinity. Um, did all of you get exposed to modern dance? Not contemporary, but modern dance. Okay, so some of you did not. Are some of you aware of the differences between contemporary and modern? Sort of. Are some of you aware that modern dance itself has its own complete history dating back into the 20th century and having some luminaries such as Martha Graham and Jose Limon and Mars. Okay, so you're, you're aware that maybe it was that category in local festivals or competitions where you saw the, the criteria and thought, that's ah, too structured, I'd like to bypass that, or maybe that was right up your alley. They usually try to delineate the difference between modern and contemporary. Um, Let's get into the contemporary category. Did all of you get exposed to contemporary? Yes. Did all of you experience contemporary of a wider range or a more commercial range? Wider, some commercial, okay. So when I'm speaking commercial, uh, it's not in a derogatory terminology, it's more of the contemporary geared towards commercial viability, has a more um, audience-pleasing, short, attention span, lots of more pyrotechnic technical aspects to it, and it's usually um, pretty hard to tell the difference between it and a hybrid of 
sometimes lyrical, jazz, and acro is the other <laughs> feeder into that. Whereas the wider range of contemporary is really just exploration from the choreographer's perspective or teacher. Um, ballet, did all of you have formal ballet training as in syllabus? Everyone except for one? Okay. Did you have formal ballet training at all? Um, not until I found out I was doing source and then I started probably six months before coming. Okay, so really recently. Okay. So that's going to be kind of an interesting perspective too, not having that ballet voice, but the other voices in your background instead. Uh, did any of you have, or did all of you have tap? Seriously? I didn't. I, yeah, that's incredible if you all did. Just a little bit not. I didn't at all. No, Zippo. Okay. Um, what about Acro? Yes, yes. Okay. What about gymnastics? A little bit? Okay. Okay. And what about, I'm, I'm going to just kind of say it's a no-brainer. Did you all do jazz? Yes. And did you all do lyrical? Yes. And did you all compete in some sort of paradigm of competitions? Yes. Okay. So nobody comes from a non-competing studio. Okay. So that's, that's also... So that's important, I think, to address because it is... There are far less of them. I would say probably I wouldn't want to venture a percentage, but I think 10% maybe studios that don't enter into competitions they would prepare more for shows, or they would have some other way of um, drawing in clients that maybe leads towards feeding into a company or a university somehow segue. Uh, competitions are really, unfortunately, the word that we give to performance opportunities, but they do definitely uh, color our background, and that will probably also affect some of your answers towards some of the stuff I'm gonna ask you. So I guess the first question on the list would be, how important to you were your dance homes and your dance teachers? As a young person, did you feel as though it was a second home? Was it a place where you felt safe? Was it a place where you felt appreciated? Was it a place where you liked going to get away from other parts of your life? And anyone is free to add, add, answer that, should it be, yes? Uh, I did feel as though it was a second home. To me, it was very important um, that my relationships at the studio were really healthy, especially things going on in my family life. I've always used dance as an escape. Yeah. So um, when I had healthy relationships with my teachers and uh, my dance team, it, it made a world of a difference. Awesome. Anybody else? Yes. I would say for me, dance was more important than anything else. Like okay. School, friends, certain family things, dance would come first. Okay. Yes. I can definitely agree with that. Dance is always number one priority in my life. And I was there every day after school. I wanted to be there opposed to anywhere else. Yes. And so it very much felt safe, the space itself, as well as the teachers I had. I created amazing relationships and they became, as I got older, more 
in comparison to a best friend right. um, and a role model. There were on and off relationships with my peers though. That's where I battled. Um, Dance peers, you mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, at the studio, but the space itself and my teachers were my people. And, okay. Yeah. Did uh, in respect to that, did any of you feel um, either uncomfortable with or comfortable with? your dance teachers taking on such a, your teacher or teachers taking on such a huge role in your development and in your affections and in your, you know, estimations? Or was it a easy, easy to do? Yes. Um, when I was younger, I put a lot of trust in my teachers and whatever they said, I would take to heart. Yes. So I was comfortable with it then, but Growing up now, looking back on certain situations, I'm uncomfortable with a lot of interactions I've had. Okay, so now it's just a retrospective thing that you. Oh, okay. Yes. But in the moment, felt in right. In the moment, I think when you walk into your studio and you're doing what you love and you're trying to achieve your dream, you're just basically a yes man and just um, wanting to learn so much and grab all the information you can. Yes. And when you're younger, it's so difficult to pick and choose what are the right things that are being said and what right. aligns with you. Right. So, um, I was taking in everything. May I ask another question in conjunction with that? If, if you heard something as a young person, any of you heard something that just kind of bugged you a little bit, either it felt unkind or maybe not fully flushed out or maybe just misdirected, did, if you expressed disgruntlement at what was said to a dance peer and it was met with maybe derision or lack of support or just kind of the comment that says, well, what are you talking about? Would that make you negate it or would that make you stew on it longer? Or did that experience even happen for you? Yes. Depends on who you're discussing with, I think. There are definitely times when hearing from the perspective of a peer in conjunction to your own would surely broaden your perspective and um, just obliterate any concern you may have had. But then, you know, perhaps if it was a peer who you were aware has an opinion differing very greatly from your own, yeah. and this is something you're previously aware of, and they're trying to back you down, that will for sure stew and Right, right. Does it make you doubt what you felt? Or does it make you think about what you felt even more? Probably the latter, right. I would say. Right, okay. There was another comment, yes. Yeah, I think that I wouldn't let it show in front of everyone, but I would take it back home with me and it would run through my mind on repeat. Right. And so I think the impression that I didn't, it didn't really bother me came off that way. Right. But I definitely took a lot of it back home. Okay. Yes. I remember a certain situation where one of my teachers said something and it made uh, go in my class cry. Right. And I was sitting out on the side and she was in the corner crying so I went to go give her a hug. Yeah. Just to comfort her. And then um, in return I got yelled at. And that was from, from the teacher? 
yeah, the teacher yelled at me for right. going against what she was saying in order to comfort my friend. I see. And I'm a very expressive person, so um, I felt like I got in those minor disagreements with teachers quite often. Right. But I was able to brush it off because that was what my morals were saying. Right. But I obviously still care about that. Because you remember it. Yeah, that was probably eight years ago. Right. <laughs> yes. I think for myself personally, introspection on a lot of those events and just kind of going back in your own head or even with other people and questioning kind of what happened with me, I think it genuinely has made me quite, at times I would describe myself as being inwardly cynical right. as to what I'm hearing. You know, taking everything with a grain of salt, which it sometimes it's healthy for sure, depending on who you're being taught by or what you're hearing. Yeah. Um, but inwardly you also have to acknowledge that that's probably not the best approach to anything, but for myself it's just one that I, I carry and that away for sure, right. just because it's so over the years ingrained in me to kind of brush things off with sarcasm or inwardly criticize it and argue it out of my own head. Even if it hurts. Even if it hurts, yeah. yeah. You always, I think especially when you get hurt, I think you, your, your first instinct is always to, to prove it wrong. Right. Um, sometimes you can't and sometimes you do, but I think the act of that being your first approach to, to attempt to back criticism down, at least in your own head, not outwardly, not yeah. physically, it may be very cynical. Right. And I think, yeah, as I said, to this day I still do hold that I kind of go into class every so often, shamefully, um, you know, right. it's a little shameful to admit that. But you can go into class and when you carry that attitude, you're always second guessing yourself and how you're thinking about class. And it doesn't, it doesn't allow you to step into things the way you'd like to. Right, right. Okay, that's an interesting perspective. Does anybody else? Yes. Um, the things Piers said to me in the past when I was quite a bit younger. Yes. I was at the point in my life where I was still like a people pleaser. Yes. So lots of times when people would say really rude things that I didn't think were rude at that time, I would try to justify them as what they were saying was true. And right. that crushed my self-image a lot right. to this day because so many things they said I was just, oh, what they're saying, they wouldn't say it if it wasn't true. So from a young age. So you took it on? Yeah. And this was peer conversation, not teacher conversation? Sometimes it was teacher conversations okay. where they would say things and because it's my teacher or it's even like, obviously you look up to your peers and your teachers, so right. when they said those things, I assumed why would they say such cruel things unless they were true. Right. Yes. Um, I would say I probably have a time
turned it into a life lesson. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not everyone's able to do that. That was that's bloody brilliant. Good for you. <laughs> okay. Um, can I ask how, you've sort of touched upon it, but how did the studio dynamics, such as class size, age, and composition affect you? May I even throw in the possibility of, in some studios, dramas would occur, and, and a teacher might leave, or a teacher might go on maternity leave and, and things would change and students would leave or maybe certain personalities would graduate or they'd suddenly come into the studio from someplace else and if you came from a smaller town, that could be huge because a smaller town has a smaller pool to draw from thereby people tend to be known a little bit more. I'm just curious, how much did that affect your training and that will also probably answer what maybe the favoritism dynamic was within the studio? because it can really make or break students if teachers are unable to rise above the desire to love one kid more than another. It's, um, it's a human condition to favor. That's why we can say my favorite color is. However, it's a really uh, uncompassionate, lacking humanity thing to do to another human being particularly if you're in a position of power, because everyone wants to be seen, and especially if they're in such a vulnerable making thing such as dance, it's such a, it's a, it's re you're, like you're all describing in many cases, you're pleasers, and when you're children, it's rare to find a rebel child. You know, a nine or eight year old child that say, yeah, the world can go to hell in a handbasket, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> that doesn't really happen, they tend to, um, have wide open eyes and hearts and want to be seen. The, the damage occurs along the way and then creates a more cynical approach to things if that were to come up. So does anyone have anything uh, that they want to say, say towards the studio dynami dynamics class composition factor? Yes? When I found out I was out to the fact that that favorite student could be more human, it would actually be adverse. Yeah, would, yes, exactly. So that favorite student was responsible for basically setting the benchmark for everyone's humanity. Yes. No pressure. And if the, you know, if that student was having a bad day, another student might try to uplift the group. Uh -huh. um, but then that student would be 
chopping blocks for the the, the one that tried to uplift? The one that tried to uplift. So oh. then they're the pinpoint of the teacher now. Gotcha. That's a, that's a weird one. Yes. Did you, yeah. yeah. For me, when I was about 13, 14, the age group above us quit. So oh. we were essentially the seniors in our studio when we were 13, 14. Okay. And I don't, I think it was really hard for a group because none of us were mature enough to be the oldest ones in the studio. Right. And we ended up becoming super stagnant, like not improving around 15, 16. And that's when we started losing more competition. Okay. So it was like a really weird dynamic from 13 until we graduated. Right. So I, I don't I don't know how to describe it, which is super weird. Was it was it based was the quitting class a dramatic quit or was it just because they were older and they found other interests in life? They went to a different studio. Oh, it was one of those. Okay. So then that would leave behind such residue. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah, that I think um, when it comes to, that's, that was why that question is of interest, I think, to a lot of people. I think that keeping in mind the mental health of the people left behind any drama, I mean, anyone that knows that's come from a family that had divorce in it, there's mental health left behind, right? The drama of all of the effects that all people's choices make, I think oftentimes, gets focused on the people at the maelstrom, the center of the drama, but it's actually, I think, most noticeable in the after effects, the sort of aftershock. So I think, uh, and yes, I, I can speak to an interesting twist on that. By the time I was 15 in my training, I was the oldest in almost all my classes. And it came to the point where they would start to stick the younger, eager ones. It's, I was in one class with an incredibly talented nine-year-old. And for a 15-year-old that's trying to, you know, you're trying to be a woman. <laughs> that, was, that was an interesting dynamic to, to manage. Um, so yeah, I can certainly understand the drama that we felt there. Yes? Um, for me, there was two teachers who made it quite clear who the favorites were. Right. Um, and it kind of spread to other teachers who hadn't previously had their favorites. And then there was one year that the two teachers and all of the favorites left the studio and the drama that was there before. Was they left permanently? Yeah, they all went to teach it and dance at a different studio. Oh, okay. And all of the drama completely left. This, and all of the other teachers who did have favorites stopped doing that. And so as soon as that specific group of people left, for the rest of my like time at that studio, there was no drama. And it was- So it was healthy. It was a healthy right. relationship with everybody and just a healthy environment as soon as those specific ones left. And I did hear that like the drama moved to the studio that- Usually does. To. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if people are perpetuating that, they're gonna perpetuate it wherever they are. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad you had healthy stuff afterwards. Yes? Um, for me, the dynamic was extremely tough because my town is very, very small. Okay. And we would have students coming from other very small towns as well as our town. And so we kind of had a bunch of small town people in, this, in one spot. Right. And what was the hardest for me was 
the group I was in was a level up or a level above the students that I went to school with. Okay. That were in the same grade as me. And I remember a specific year and I was maybe maybe around 12 or 13, 14, around in that area. And we, our teachers would give us opportunities to, um, I guess, kind of follow along their class in younger groups. Okay. And I remember being placed in, as an assistant, a young assistant in the group that I went to school with, with right. the people, right. who then, as the people I danced with graduated, I got moved down, well, not moved down, but our groups then collided, yes. because the group I was in was had small. left. Yes. And so just, it was just a very weird way to grow up in sense of and just that rivalry, like, you know. Rivalry and antagonism yeah. and jealousy. And, and yeah. yeah, and there was never any harm on my side. And, but it's a very small town and people are there for different reasons. Yeah. And they have different goals in mind. Yeah. So it was very, very dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> Good euphemism. Yeah. <laughs> well, if it's if it's any uh, consolation, the the flip side of the small town situation is the the big city that has literally a studio on every corner, and each one is claiming to change your universe, um, and all competing with one another to the point where it actually feels as though it, it becomes more about which studio can be glossier and fancier rather than which one can serve the population, which happen to be children that need to learn how to dance and hopefully in a healthy environment. So yeah, I, I don't know if any situation is ideal, but that one sounds like a bit of an adventure that you... Yeah, so the, the studio itself and our teachers were amazing, but it was very head-buddy with right. the peers. Right. Yes. Um, I feel that I have so much to say on this topic with different dynamics and everything. Um, my studio was heavily exam-based. Okay. And when we were getting older, they all of a sudden split levels into one or two year when the exams got um, more serious or intermediate advanced and okay. everything. Okay. And then we would have students that were injured previous years and they went to their exams so they were forced to stay back. So then you're having people that were graduating high school with people still in junior high. Right. And then that dynamic of I'm injured and I want to dance with my friends for my senior year. Yeah. And I'm not even taking dance after high school. Right. And this is what I want to do and I don't really um, care for somebody sitting at the front of a room telling me if I'm good or not or giving me a nine or right, right, whatever. Right. It's just a number at the end of the day. So I found that that was very difficult, um, especially as somebody who was injured a lot and having that talk um, about being able to handle and just wanting to be with my friends and just to know your own situation, I think um, dictating levels is really difficult and can cause a lot. Did that studio that 
uh, you participated in, did it not have a sort of performance track and a I Want to Dance track, which obviously would not be the name. It's sort of secretly, it's usually called recreational, meaning I'm dancing because I love dancing, but I'm not going to do it for life. And then the ones that want the exams, want the every competition known to mankind, every convention, dance 20 plus hours a week. Did, was that available to you? Um, there was an after school program for that. Right. But the one that we did, it was merged with our schooling. It was all in the same building. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, there was companies you could take after class. So we were dancing around 30 hours a week. It was really intense. And for the people that didn't want to do companies, they were not favored at, at all. Right. They were treated differently. Right. Even if you were to take the contemporary route, other than the ballet route. Yeah. You're treated so differently in all of your technical classes. Right. Um, yeah, it's quite frustrating. Left the mark. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, additionally, to build on that, I trained at a studio for about 12 years and then unfortunately closed down, so I had to go to a new studio. Right. And when I transferred into the studio, they had, as you were talking about, the, like, the two tracks. Yeah, yeah, and within the more competitive track, yes. there was a certain team that had a name that put them on like the pedestal. On the pedestal yeah. and there was only favorites within that team and when it came down to solos and more personal like duets, trios. Yes, yes. If any of the favorites would win or if you say you beat a favorite rather than your teachers celebrating that, right. they would just say, Oh, it was so and so's. They did a bad time. You just got lucky. This wasn't their best run through. And you're still in their same school. Yeah. <laughs> it got better, but like at the beginning, there was so much. Oh, they just didn't have a good run through. That's the only reason. Oh, gracious. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Way to value your efforts and your performance. Okay. Um, lots to ruminate about there. Yes, my dear. Oh, I was just going to say, I had a semi opposite experience from a lot of you guys. You have had where people would leave or quit or just get switched up a lot. We always, well, we always got switched up a lot too, but in the sense that there were always people coming in. Right. There was, I think I was about 15, um, and I was just kind of starting to be a little comfortable with kind of my place at, at the studio I was in, which sounded maybe perhaps, perhaps a little cocky, but um, I was starting to get a little bit comfortable and just situated. And we had this something, this little three-pronged uh, star of just collisions because we had people from two other studios, groups of people from two other studios just coming in and all colliding once. It creates um, the way those environments work is it's really nice for that first that honeymoon period, <laughs> and then. <laughs> And then you, and then from there, it's either all downhill, and yeah. and then it maybe builds up a little bit at the end. But oh, that middle period is rough, and yeah. then and then some of those people quit, and they start drama. Not, of course, not necessarily them themselves, but them being there and kind of switching with the favorite dynamic. My studio, for example, we had a lot of boys. Yeah, and it was. Mostly by, by your peers, there was always the offhanded comments about, oh, the boys, or the boys mm -hmm. do this, the boys do that. And sorry, of course I speak from that experience because I am a boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think it affected both 
there were, I think, definitely a ton of girls in my studio who were, um, they're just amazing, and they could kind of internally and through the support of a teacher, they could place themselves above that or separately from that perceived bias. That bias got really bad um, in ballet classes, I, I would find, just because a lot of the teachers we had were female. I think all of the teachers we had were female, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so um, they just didn't really know what to do with us. Mm -hmm. And so we never, it, it probably never felt like we got criticism as harsh. Mm -hmm. um, because a lot of that influx from the, the two other studios was just guys. It was very strongly, look, we have boys. That is pretty cool. <laughs> from the perspective of a female in that studio. As, we, as we started growing up and we were all very, all of us were very different boys. Yeah. Um, in terms of just everything, yeah. personality, yeah. Uh, body type, it, it became so almost polarizing, I right. would say. Especially when it's different teachers, different people, not knowing how to, not, I don't want to say cater to, but to, to work with them mm -hmm. and not knowing how it would affect everyone. And mm -hmm. I think, yeah, not, not only from myself, but the other people I've talked to, um, it was always very just polarizing. It ended up being polarizing. And I think that uh, what I appreciate about appreciate about that perspective is, is that within the dance world, it is so predominantly, especially in the ballet world, so predominantly female. I'd love to actually do a poll someday and see in the triple threat or quadruple or, oh my, I don't know what you people are, octuple, <laughs> in the many, many different dance form um, world, if it is a little bit more even, if there's more males, but even just in the room right now, we have to five, 10, 11, 11 women and two men. So that gives you, it's usually, yeah. It, it, and it's, it's unfortunate that um, the dynamics too, I feel particularly in the ballet paradigm, of it being mostly female teachers adopting rather brutal tactics to train in this pseudo tough way that I think really separates them from maybe their instincts of wanting to nurture more would be lovely. And not to say that males cannot nurture at all, but we don't have very many ballet teachers out there, unfortunately. Uh, and then having male dancers, I have to say that in my unfortunately too limited experience, but glorious experience as a young teacher going to usually smaller towns and having six or seven young men in the class it would just literally be a hallelujah moment and i loved it i loved the fact that it was kind of like hey here's a slightly different dynamic to work with oftentimes working with young men being that and nothing personal but you do mature later not only size wise physiologically but also internally mentally and emotionally so whereas the young woman would already be sort of getting into this place of really checking each other out and placing this whole dynamic this way, young guys would be kind of in that stage of, huh, I like this, let's do more, let's do some dancing stuff. And so the enthusiasm was often pretty exciting. It didn't get really polarizing, as you put, until 16, 17, and that would be when the favoritism quite often did lean itself towards the male population. 
particularly if the male population really wanted to dance. Because it was kind of, let's, let's treasure this, because we have so few male dancers, but my personal sort of answer to that would always be, hey, if they want to dance, they're going to dance if you encourage them all the same. It was you definitely don't, yeah. the guys. It wasn't as much the teachers would be polarizing, but the guys were like polarizing to one another. And I think, yeah, myself included. Yes. Because it was always, it was often just about the favorites. Yes. But which guy was the favorite in which class and when as well. Right. The when was a really big thing, depending on what teacher you had, what time of the year it was relative to competitions, what right. competitions were happening at the time. Right. Um, what the competition at the competitions was expected to be like, to beat everyone else down. Right, right. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a whole other topic, the competition angle, and we are going to get into that. We're going to take a small respite, rest break, uh, respite, rest break, lots of resting in there. Um, so that our listeners can stretch their legs and so that you can stretch your legs and we'll be back in a second, a quick second. So thank you for listening to part one of episode 45 of Sarah Says. Woohoo, yes. And we will see you again in a minute. Thank you so much. Bye.